You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back to episode 33 of Arsenal Pass. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by calling champion Hayden Dale. Hayden, how are you doing? Yeah, still pretty good, Brendan. <laughs> still pretty good. Um, so last week we solicited our Twitter followers to help provide us with some hot topics um, or statements and common sentiments currently prevalent in the flesh and blood community. These are things such as lightning bar needs a ban or errata or something like that. The current buy and price of competitive play is just too high, etc. So we're going to take this episode to give our opinion on those topics. Um, anyway, all that and more. But first, Hayden, let's talk about your week, your week in flesh and blood. Yeah, I've had a good week in Flesh and Blood. I played um, uh, another skirmish on the weekend. So I played two the weekend before. Play one more this weekend. This will be my last for the for the season. I think there's some more this weekend, but I'm um, I'm taking the weekend off from playing any Flesh and Blood um, or going to any skirmishes at least. Was a was a blitz skirmish. Uh, had to had to drive north of the city to go and play, but it was it was fun. It was awesome. Um, a store I'd never been to before. Actually, there's a lot of stores in my sort of local area, Northern Sydney, where I live, that are starting to pop up and running Flesh and Blood events. There's probably probably doubled in size uh, since sort of coming out of lockdown, to be honest, in terms of regular events. So, um, so over the past couple of months, so it's awesome to see just going out and trying to support those stores as well as they run these skirmish events and um, even been to a couple of armories last week as well. So yeah, played, uh, played Blitz, played a, a Briar deck, um, basically just a, I guess a, a Blitz version of, of Terra Patel's Lightning Briar deck with a, with a couple of changes. Um, the equipment was probably where I put the, I guess, the most spice into it, so to speak, uh, for the cannon matchup. Playing uh, playing Spell Void Four actually in that matchup, plus the Crown of Dichotomy, which was fun. Um, I actually played two Kano. My, my, my only two losses uh, on the day was Kano, and I think round round one, and then the the quarterfinals. So a bit unfortunate, but the the deck list ended up in the uh, in the hands of a friend taking it out. So that was awesome to see. And um, yeah, overall, other than that, just kind of bit bit back back to testing this week, um, which has been nice and. Yeah, how about yourself? Yep, so stayed consistent with the testing, but have not had much time to play. Um, just been very busy with other kind of real-life stuff over the past few weeks. I haven't had time to play any skirmishes or anything like that. And unfortunately, I don't know if I will have time to play skirmishes this season, but it's all good. You know, we've got exciting events on the horizon in 2022, so that's definitely what I'm looking forward to. Outside of that, there may be some larger events that are put on by my local community, um, which I might be able to make it out to. And, you know, people would come down from Oklahoma and kind of like all the places around. Those are always really fun to go to. So sort of looking forward to that at this point. Yeah. And just, just testing Flesh and Blood this week or? So I found a new game. It's called, well, it's, it's definitely a side game. It's called Sky Tear. Um, Team Covenant like supports it and streams it. It's like a sort of like board game MOBA card game, which is like a, you know, word sandwich right there. But it, it's really, really fun. Like it's probably one of my favorite games so far and uh yeah i've been playing that it's really cool playing with this guy named tim bun he's like actually that like the current world champion of the game so definitely been thrown in the deep end and then other than that i've just been like racking my brain with all sorts of nft and crypto and all that kind of stuff because i'm just i can't stop from just going deeper and deeper it's like just gets crazy you know exactly For sure. Anyway, Hayden, let's talk about the news. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty light news day. Um, so just a couple of things, and we'll talk about some of the videos we put up this week. But there's, a, I thought, a really cool thing that um, LSS have announced for kind of the festive period. 
over December is that uh, there's like a festive armory kit. So I don't know if you've if you've seen this, Brendan. I actually I had the I had the tab up before uh, and it closed on me. But they're basically there's cold foil crack baubles. So, um, but they're in like a like a Christmas theme, right? So they've got you know they've got a bit of holly and um, decoration on them. And uh, I think it says the text is just like wishing you a, um, a successful festive season or something like that. So they're really cool. I think they all come in cold foil. I think there's like 36 per pack. So like you know presumably if you're rocking up to an armory each week, uh, you're going to get at least one of these. Um, and there's two playmats as well. I think the playmats actually look awesome to be honest. So I think two playmats per kit. Uh, so yeah i thought it's just like quite a cool fun thing a bit of a deviation from like the usual kind of you know hero stuff with the weapons and um now the rainbow foil heroes it was just something a bit different and i thought yeah like quite quite a nice i guess also like a piece of collector's uh or a collector's item but also just something really cool to get back to the community as well and there's quite a few of them in the pack right in these sort of armory kits yeah they're definitely very fun um and you know they're accessible enough so i think most people will be able to get them at least the uh the cards maybe not the map but I mean, Flesh and Blood is a game of very many playmats at this point. It's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, otherwise, we had some more nationals over the past weekend. Uh, we had Taiwan, or Taiwanese nationals, um, which in the end was taken out by Limbo playing Briar. Um, I didn't see too much. I know there was a bit of coverage, like uh, text coverage, and then Alice has put up a, an article covering the event and had some some images and just a bit of a recap of the weekend, which was cool to see. I like that that Alice's are kind of putting up recaps of of what's happening. Uh, through these nationals so we get a bit of a snapshot of like the meta some of the players uh because some of these players we saw like Taiwanese nationals last year and we saw you know some of their skirmish seasons and things like that so we get to you know we get familiar with some of them um and of course i got a big, big shout out to uh reiner making top four uh yang zhao zhang uh played reiner and took a top four i think in the end just losing uh, a tight match to Briar. so yeah it was really cool to see that's pretty cool um i think yeah, it's interesting to see how the meta develops in some of those regions right um because they tend to operate a bit more independently yeah i think so i think they do currently because uh some of those regions and we've talked about this before on time around and even in the main pod that some of those regions just have less i guess uh less connection to some other parts of the world so maybe something like um singapore and hong kong have had a bit more interaction with like the skirmish season the online skirmish season but uh even even then still like they kind of have their own meta but taiwan like very i think very solid at this point but that'll change i think once we get into next season and we've actually got a great question in the the commander cookout section this week on um on sort of competitive play in the op season for next year awesome looking forward to it yeah, and then, you know, otherwise, um, just wanted to say that we, we should put, speaking of Rhino versus, uh, versus Briar, we put up a gameplay video this week uh, of hybrid Briar versus Rhino. Uh, very interesting match. Um, you know, it's a matchup that probably, the, the Rhino versus Lightning Briar matchup is a matchup that I've played a, a bit at this point. Um, but this is a, a hybrid version, so it's a bit different. It was a, a very interesting game. There was a, there's a few, a few uh, cool turns in there. So, um, yeah, you can check that oh. out on YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very skillful match on my on my end. I do have to say, but uh, I'll, let, I'll let you all, all the listeners, find out the result. <laughs> and um, we also put up a few sort of deck profile and deck overview videos last week. So Brendan had uh, a deck profile video that went up on Lightning Briar, uh, as well as you can find the deck guide for that and the full cyborg breakdown on our Patreon. Um, Brendan actually did uh, something a bit different on the Patreon as well, where he did a video showcasing sort of the the matchup guide for that. But there's also the written cyborg plan as always in terms of you know what comes in, what goes in. Um, and then also as well that that Briar hybrid deck uh, that has won three nationals at this point 
and also sort of covered a bit of a, a top level of what that deck's trying to do in a pretty quick sort of 10 minute video last week so if you are looking for some information about that deck that's played in the gameplay go check it out uh, i think it's, it's an interesting deck list and, and doing something a little bit different to what we've been seeing from uh, the briars so far this season yeah so last week's time around was with dante dante i'm sure a lot of you have heard the name before if you listen to this uh this podcast but a two-time national calling to- calling whatever not national but two-time calling top hater one-time national top hater um and all around just good guy joins us on time of the round um it's a pretty funny one there's uh, some funny stories about dante and some funny stories about his time living in texas so next week's time of the round is actually with stephen woolley from team covenant and just i really recommend checking that one out when it goes up in the next few days it was a it was a great conversation always is with stephen awesome your, guy your arch nemesis yeah arch nemesis and favorite human being alive I just want to do a Patreon call out to our over 300 patrons. Just awesome to see all the support. The Arsenal Pass Patreon does have tons of extra content. It's got an extra podcast, live session, which we did recently on game plans, as well as, you know, if we put up a deck tech on Arsenal Pass, there will usually be, it'll usually be accompanied by a full written sideboard guide, you know, deck theory, spreadsheets, math, ratios, all that kind of stuff on the Arsenal Pass Patreon. Everything you need to pick it up and start being competitive. But anyway, Hayden, time to fire up the grill. You said we got a spicy commander cookout this week. Oh, I mean, it's not it's not that spicy. I think it's just really interesting and ties into what we just talked about with um, some of the metas in, in different parts of the world. And this is a, a question that actually was part of, so during the week for the main topic of the pod, as I said, or as Brendan said, sorry, um, I did throw out a bit of a, a question to, to some of our followers, which was, you know, what are some of the hot topics and, and sentiments that are currently floating around the FAB community? I've, I've seen a lot of these, um, but it was also good just to get these reiterated. You know, I don't, I don't want to be looking through my lens. But as part of that, some people also shot through some things that were a bit more of a question sort of format, I think. Um, and a couple of these I thought were really good, and I've just chosen one that I thought we could talk about in Commander Cookout today. And this comes from Druid. Um, who says, what do you hope to realistically see in terms of OP for 2022? Number of callings by region, how many PTs you think can happen with COVID, and if they should start having pro quests locally, keeping them as calling side events. So I thought I'd jump into this first, Brendan, and let you mull over it, because I've been thinking about this actually after I saw this question. In terms of OP for 2022, like the, the main, I guess, I think it's a key part of what, I guess the success of Flesh and Blood in 2022, like this is kind of the, the marquee year, right? This is the, the OP program that's been touted and this is, you know, now we're going to see it realized. So I think first of all, the, the Worlds is like the, the pinnacle, right? World Championships um, sounds like it's going to happen around November of 2022. I think that is one of the most important things that has to happen. I think three PTs is probably the number that I would like to see. And I think that's probably somewhat realistic with COVID. Two might be more realistic in terms of maybe one early year, one sort of like mid to late year and then you roll into worlds in november might be more realistic gives people time gives uh you know countries time to start to open up but in the past few weeks you've seen you know uh there's been a bit of a mixed bag of what's happened around i guess like asia pacific and uh, north america is really starting to open up for like travel and, and tourism and things like that but maybe less so in europe so it, i think two is probably realistic and, and maybe that starts sort of like april may around you know post easter sort of time that would be my sort of what i would like to see in terms of like callings by region um, I still think that we need those regional callings, especially in this kind of time that we're in, where it is more difficult maybe to travel continental. Uh, so I think ideally what I would like to see is, I think the US again needs to have the the largest number of callings. I think that's just where the largest player base is right now. So I think having, I, I don't know if we need, you know, five weeks, four callings. I don't know if that, or six weeks, four callings. I don't think that is, is necessary, but 
you know, if we break it down quarterly, I'd love to see maybe, you know, two or three callings a quarter uh, in a market like the US, I think is going to be really beneficial as, as those seasons come out, because obviously we get new sets and, and whatnot. And then probably from uh, Europe, I think like one a quarter would be, be great. So you're looking at four there. And then in Asia Pacific, I think similar, like uh, maybe one to two a quarter. There's a pretty big player base in, in Asia Pacific, right? With New Zealand, Australia, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore. Um, and it is becoming a lot easier to travel in the area. And it's only about, you know, like eight hours, you can be anywhere within Asia Pacific mostly. So um, I think, you know, I think you could realistically have two, one to two per quarter, depending on the quarter, maybe six total for the year. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, upwards of 20, 25 callings uh, for the year is probably what I would love to see. In terms of ProQuest, just want to touch on that as well. Because um, I think that's a great shout out from Drew there. In terms of ProQuest, I think we do need to start seeing those locally. There's a lot of PTIs floating around with, you know, these callings that have backed up over the past sort of, you know, few months. And of course, like with Nationals Top 8, it's also rewarding, you know, giving you PTIs. So you could assume that the first P the first Pro Tour, maybe the second Pro Tour, they can be pretty big events, right? Some people might hold these for Worlds. But I think we do need to start seeing ProQuest start to increase. So we've I know we've had a couple locally, like in uh, Melbourne, Australia, when their calling got cancelled, they had a ProQuest still. Uh, which was really great for the local community there. I think we need to see, you know, probably regionally, so say within like a country, the US probably needs like, you know, probably over maybe a dozen per quarter um, and, and something like, you know, Australia and New Zealand, maybe it's one or two per, per quarter leading into those pro tours. So I think we do need to start seeing them locally. It's just up to LSS in terms of like, managing the amount of invites that they're giving out based on the number of actual pro tours that we're going to have this year. You can't keep banking these PTIs and then not really having anything for it to go forward to because that means when we get to these first first few events, we can have like you know, 500 plus player events pretty easily. That's my monologue, Brennan. <laughs> Went longer than I thought. Yeah, so, so for brevity, I'm just going to echo what Hayden said and I'm going to expand on it a little bit. Um, for callings, um, especially region, like regional, uh, callings. I hope that they're clustered, right? So I hope that they do, you know, callings in Europe. They kind of cluster them together in like a month. Um, same thing with Asia Pacific, like they did in the U.S. Um, I really, really hope they do that because it makes traveling just uh, so much more reasonable um, for people that are not living in that region. So I really hope for that. The PTs, yeah, I do think they need or the ProQuest uh, qualifiers. Do you think they need to be local? Um, the current setup for them is okay though, uh, where you just do it if you don't make day two. And of course, I'm just hoping for at least two PTs. And I think Worlds definitely needs to happen in 2022. Yeah. Interesting. So I, I think we have very different opinions on the calling, right? I think the callings need to not be grouped uh, because so I get it for a player like yourself who wants to travel and wants to have incentive to maybe go to, you know, the UK, play an event, go to the Netherlands, play an event, go to Germany, play an event, three weeks home, right? But that's if those three events happen and then there's nothing for three months in the European market, that's a real downside for that community. There's not, there's less things for them to look forward to. I think it's, it's not as good for stores who are trying to, you know, like push events and then lead up to that. I think in general, although it's better for, I guess, you know, uh, pro level play or aspiring pro players, I think it's worse for the communities themselves. So I think it's Alice's responsibility to really balance that. I think one of the ways you can do that is say, the, say there's a pro tour in the UK uh, middle of next year. I think they could put one either side uh, and that's a good incentive. For, for someone like yourself or for whoever it might be. Um, but I also think that, you know, if you don't have four or five months running that you don't have a, a calling event in a region that's pretty significant and really growing, that's really going to stunt your growth. So I think I kind of, I see the point, but also I think there's the responsibility is to find a balancing act between those. Um, I'm just definitely not going to be flying 20 hours for a calling. 
And I know you usually hate him, but obviously it's not sustainable in, in like 2022, especially as we head into like the Protoin world. So uh, we'll have to see, you know, where, how they schedule it definitely is going to determine, I think, traveling for a lot of us that plan on traveling for these things. For sure. But I mean, I look at other games like, and, you know, I hate to always throw it to Magic, but Magic had a very good pro circuit and a very good uh, Grand Prix, you know, calling equivalent circuit. And there were very few players who would play you know, majority of the, the calling level events in a year um, because they're, they're big open events, right? Although, you know, as, as the best players, you might expect to do well on them. It's not a guarantee. And the re, the re, I guess the, the return rate on those is a lot lower than, say, a pro tour, for example. So a lot of the, I guess, the high-level players, maybe uh, pro players, the club pro players, they would go and play maybe the, the GPs, the callings either side. Uh, but they probably wouldn't travel out of region very much unless they were going to go and spend time there uh, or they lived in a region that didn't have those events. So, you know, not North American players, not uh, European players, for instance. Great. Yeah. So with that, <laughs> let's head into the main talk of the hard. Yeah, I just want to say if you if you do have a question, submit for the Commander Cookout. Uh, great question. Thank you, Jude. Uh, just you can either drop us a line on Twitter, uh, add us on Twitter, put it in the YouTube comments below. Or for us an email if you want to go old school. <laughs> I love that it's old school now. No no snail mail, sorry. But arsenalpassfab at gmail.com if you want to get in any questions for the Commander Cookout. And we'll get them on the show. All right, Brendan. Moving to the main topic. So, yeah, this, I mean, only two days ago. So thank you to everyone who responded to this. But uh, I put a question out on Twitter just asking, what are the general kind of sentiments or statements or hot topics that people are seeing repeatedly come up in sort of flesh and blood discourse and within the community right now? whether that be within local communities, whether that be within, you know, online communities, fan pages, Discord, etc. What are the things that people are repetitively or repeatedly seeing pop up? You know, these things that are just, you know, people need answers to, people want to know uh, or people have issues with. And we, I guess we generally, on the main podcast, we talk about, you know, specific flesh and blood play topics, right? So whether it be like level ups, whether it be metagame, whether it be, you know, whatever it is. But I think these kind of community-based hot topics are really important. I mean, Brendan talked about this this week and, and said that, you know, now is a, a really good time. Um, we've kind of got a, a bit of a, a cleaner schedule, I guess, in terms of what we're talking about at the moment. And there's a few really hot topics right now as we sort of end national season and we come into sort of the, the, the off-season, I guess, before Everfest comes out. So, Brendan, the way this is going to work is I am going to read a statement. <laughs> this is a statement from the community. You know, hot topic, whatever it might be, a sentiment. And we're each going to give whether we, uh, you know, we strongly agree, we agree, we're neutral on the on the statement, or we disagree, or we strongly disagree on it. And then we're going to have a bit of a back and forth. We're going to discuss. I'm sure some of these we will completely agree on, some of them we will completely disagree on. Um, but either way, I'm sure there's going to be some interesting things that come out of it. And we're going to give, yeah, I guess our our view on these these topics and where we stand. Whether you know, I've definitely had people, and I know you have, Brendan as well, message and ask about some of these topics and ask us what our opinion is some people might not want to know our opinion on it but we're going to give it anyway so <laughs> sound good yeah i'm really growing as a youtuber just reacting to other people's opinions i like it <laughs> well i think i think it's important that um you don't have to justify yourself Let's well just get into all right all right <laughs> <laughs> okay so i want to start with i've kind of grouped these a little bit roughly uh, but also i kind of just threw these together because we've had some come through later as well um, but some of these are, I guess, based on the current class constructor format and sort of current formats to start with. So the first statement is, Brennan, the current classic, constru classic constructive format is imbalanced. Where do you stand on that? Uh, depends what balanced means. <laughs> is it more balanced than other formats have been in Flesh and Blood? If we talk about class construction, other eras? 
Uh, you take yes, it however sure. you want. You take it however you want. <laughs> well, this is part of how I want it. Uh, so yes, for sure. This is Briar is not chain, and some people think that it is chain. It's not. Uh, it's not even close. Uh, and is it imbalanced? I mean, it depends, right? Like if you, it depends who you qualify as imbalanced. But yeah, if you look at like, I don't know, UK nationals, or you look at US nationals, yeah, it was probably a sort of imbalanced format. Um, the sense of Briar just dominated most things um, and was highly represented as well. But I mean, if you look at the calling Orlando that happened the same week and old him won that. And as we progress farther into national season, you look at Briar losing more and more and other decks that were actually kind of um, conceptually designed by Legend Story Studios to counter this sort of hero and strategy like the Ice Lexi, like the old him, like the Viscerai, which is a really tough match, by the way, which people don't get a lot of credit for. Um, I think that the format can rebalance if people are willing to play other decks that are better into Lightning Briar. Like if you just keep playing the the Mirror and we keep playing decks that are bad into Lightning Briar that struggle, then yeah, we'll probably perpetuate this um, this dominance that the deck is seeing. But you know, if there's an adaptation in the meta, then I think that you know, kind of tic tac toe, rock paper scissors, whatever you want to call it, um, as Lightning Briar will start to fade out a little bit because it's getting beat up on decks that are targeting it. Other decks will have time to come back in. Mm. So if I if I say what the definition of balanced is, right? So that's <laughs> rough start because you like you say you know it depends what you mean by balance. I think um, being balanced, right? If you take the actual just definition of what balance means, is to have you know different elements in the correct proportions, right? Which I think actually applies really well to to a game like Flesh and Blood, having you know different elements in the correct proportions, and uh, I don't just mean elements in terms of tails variant, but works. One of the main things, right, is having the ability to play different things to be able to do different things in the format and i think to your point you know with with chain that was uh very difficult with lightning briar i think that's less difficult but still constrained but any meta should have some constraints to it because decks should perform well uh, and then the decks that you i guess need to play or the heroes that you need to explore or the strategy you need to explore to beat those uh they're not endless right there's going to be certain things that are going to be you know a lot better than others and those are the ones that should the ones that get played and it should be the ones that get seen so i think there's definitely those strategies in this format available to people uh we've talked about some of these heroes talked about some of these strategies i do think that there's some constraints on it uh and i think we'll go into that with another statement we've got further down just around card pool for a hero like uh hero like briar but i would say if i was going to put where i kind of stand or sit on this right now i would say uh i would be in the disagree camp you know between the disagree and neutral probably disagree i would say uh yeah disagree for me not strongly just disagree i mean it depends right like it's all the same to me i just disagree i just don't think we're at that point but maybe the meta will actually never evolve to uh reach its full realization which probably most flesh and blood metas don't right they kind of pause somewhere before you know they actually are totally figured out so it may you know Tales of Aria Micah down in history was just like Lightning Briar was busted because we had a series of competitive events very clustered together. Lightning Briar dominated, and then we didn't have events. So we didn't really have a chance to respond. Um, you know, this is in the context of we did have, you know, last week and the weekend before, we saw some nice innovation in the meta. We saw Ice Lexi win Canadian nationals, we saw hybrid Briar win some other nationals, um, we saw changes in the meta. But after that, after Nationals, there's not a lot of reasons to really keep innovating and keep trying to, um, you know, create decks that prey on that prey on Lightning Briar. That being said, depending on when they announce New Zealand Nationals and Australian Nationals, 
that's going to be my final sort of litmus test to be like, was this format truly, you know, Briar's format truly unbalanced and like, you know, everything beat it. Because there will be tons of time to innovate and prey on this deck before those nationals happen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, the next statement, which ties really closely into this, then if uh, if people, you know, I guess if the belief is that there's a bit of imbalances, the format is incapable of rebalancing itself, or yeah, of rebalancing itself. Yeah. So is it, it is it is capable or it is incapable? It is incapable. It is incapable. Um, well, I think no. So I think already we're seeing kind of you know, rebalancing in the format, right? The format was started out being. Let's just go back to like day one of Tales. It was pretty heavy Prism and Bravo and you know all these all these heroes that did really well in Monarch and got a bunch of upgrades. And then we saw Briar commit, rebal- rebalance them, put Prism in its place, you know, back on the bench. Just kidding. But uh, you know, there's a, there's a cyclical motion. So we've seen the dominance of Lightning Briar. I think as old him becomes more prevalent, and really I can't stress it enough, this Viscera deck becomes more prevalent, uh, and Ice Lexi as well does have a lot of game against it. We'll see other decks come into the meta and the rebalancing again. Yeah. So you sit on the disagree, strongly disagree? Um, I definitely disagree about the incapable. Okay, sitting on disagree. Yeah, I think I sit on disagree as well. I don't think... Uh, I think there's some aspects to this that are somewhat true, but it's not because of the the card pool or the game itself. I actually think it's because of uh, the way that we approach deck building as a collective community right now and just where the game is at its, its cycle and age. And I talk about this on Time and Around this week with Stephen that we just recorded yesterday. Actually, Stephen asked a, asked a great question about Lightning Prior. Um, so I'm not going to rehash it because if you want to see that, you can check out time in the round this week. But basically, um, you know, I think it comes down more to just the where the where the life cycle of flesh and blood is right now, more so than the card pool. So I would say disagree. Um, but yeah, it's it's for those reasons. Let's move on. Uh, this is a very hot topic right now, I think, Brennan, and there's a lot of calls for this and a lot of people talking about this in different ways. And we're going to talk about some of the different ways that, that people are approaching this, but we need bannings in classic constructed. We always need bannings in something. If the if the mob had its way, the mob always wants blood. Um, every time a new card comes out or Legend Story Studio sneezes, somebody wants something banned. Um, so this is yes, definitely a hot topic. And I think we all know it's at the top of that totem pole for a lot of people. It's like okay, ban Briar or something, and it's like okay, we'll meet you halfway. Let's just errata her so it's like elemental cards or something. And I had this conversation with Steven as well. But we'll go ahead and rehash it because I'm going to say this over and over again. It's like if you really want blood, if you really want something banned and you just need that to bring you happiness. Let's talk about Plunder Run because that that's the card for me. Rosetta is great. Um, Lightning or Briar is great. But like Plunder Run is our offender, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't disagree. I mean, so. So we need bannings in class constructed. Where do you stand on it currently, Brennan? So I just feel uncomfortable. This is one of the questions where I actually feel like I don't know enough. And I feel like I kind of play I play the game a lot. <laughs> but I still feel like I just, I just don't. Like, I'm just not well-versed enough to be like, yes, this needs to be banned. Dude, I just don't think there's been enough time. Um, and I just, in a sense, I don't feel qualified, which is kind of surprising. So I would say if, we're gonna, if we have to do it. You have my, to. You can't, you can't squeeze out I, this one. No, I'm saying if we have to ban something, I'm looking at Plunder Run. Oh. Um, but I would err on the side of no bans. Okay, so you're somewhere between neutral and disagree. Yeah. Okay, I, I sit on neutral, I think. Um, I definitely sit on the side of disagree probably uh, two weeks ago. Plunder Run is, yeah, is the card for me that has continued to be a bit of an issue. Um, 
it's kind of throughout the game to be honest and, and there's some like asymmetry with that with how that interacts with room room blade which is, is probably really starting to tip it over the edge for me um i think in decks like katsu and other aggressive decks plunder runners you know a reasonable tool but is also still very very good um but yeah room blade is uh is maybe maybe what's happening there for me all right this ties in again next statement brennan brian needs an errata so the same discussion, right? This is sort of the uh, the middle ground. It's like, okay, if we don't ban her, we're going to errata her. And the idea is that you errata uh, Briar so that the effects, the embodiment of lightning, uh, embodiment for if they trigger off, um, what is it, uh, element cards? Yeah. Is, that the, is that the correct word? Yeah, yeah it'd so be, it'd be lightning or earth or elemental cards, yeah. I would argue that this is a pretty simple idea and that, um, not that it's wrong, but that it's it's so simple that it, this was probably explored in development. And I would assume, if you look at the congruency of the other heroes, that it was pretty possible that Briar was actually designed like this at one point, And then they decided to change that to generic to buffer because it wasn't good enough. Not saying this is not the correct direction to go, but um, it's interesting. I, I'm not sure if that's... It, and that this is the most, by the way, for context, this is the most, this is actually the most drastic response, right? Like people want to pretend like mm -hmm. this is middle ground because it's not a ban, but an errata is the worst thing you can possibly do for the game. So I'm going to be a strong disagree just because erratas are terrible. And it, that could be a pretty crippling one at that. And is it needed? Maybe not. So there, there's a lot of things that go wrong with me for that statement, but strong disagree because erratas are just very bad. Ah, damn it. I thought we were going to have a, a bit of a disagreement on that one, but I sit firmly in the strongly disagree on this one. I, I think erratering is one of the worst things you can do in a physical physical card game outside of uh, like wholesale changes for, um, I guess, like keywords and things like that in terms of you know how those are phrased. So slight terms of phrase, but actually changing the wording on a card to play completely differently is a whole is you know is a completely different thing so strongly disagree i think that you know digital card games they have this available to them right that's one of the strengths of digital card games i think cardboard paper games do not have this available to them i think it is uh it is a very bad thing that can happen and would not be good for the long-term health of the game i think the other systems in place that that can be used bannings um living legend is much more appropriate so mm -hmm. okay we sit the same there <laughs> Next segment, we need a balance to the game system that isn't bannings. So erratas would be one of those uh, limits, so card limits, um, rather than just straight bannings. You know, you can only have one of X card in your deck or two of X card. Uh, rule changes, so could LSS explore rule changes uh, is one of these things that I've seen floated around. There's a few different things that people are floating around in terms of just other than Living Legend, um, and I guess well, Living Legend is one we already have, but other than bannings, uh, we need a balance to the game system. Yeah, so all of those sound very clunky to me <laughs> upon like first hearing them. I mean, it's it, it depends what the rules changes are, right? But you know, if we're talking about like uh, you know card limitations and stuff like that, like it, it does get pretty clunky for a new player to like pick up the game, start building a deck, and they get to their locals. It's like, oh, by the way, you can only have you can only have five and a half plunder runs in your deck. And you're like, what? You know, something like that. <laughs> so. I'm going to be pretty neutral on this one just because, like, I don't know. And it also just, it kind of sounds bad, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'd probably sit around the neutral camp to maybe slightly disagree. I think there's some things that could be explored that have been looked at in, in other game systems. Um, and it's probably, to be honest, I think, again, erratas I don't think are an option. I think that's a, a, a dangerous path to walk down. Um, I think limits I'm not excited about. I know that's used in maybe in eternal formats and um, 
in Magic, for instance. Uh, I think it's it's a bit confusing, a bit soupy. Not not a big fan of that. Some of the I guess rule changes that could be explored, maybe, but again, like those sort of things could change the fundamentals of the game, and I don't think that's where LSS should go. In reality, where I think that we need to look and LSS need to look is actually just a fundamental design of classes. To be honest, that's if I was to say where the balancing needs to come from. But that's nothing that we can do about the the current format. That's a, a future thing and a future proofing thing that I I think would be good for Alice to look at. Is just to just to do some retrospective on on their design process. I'm sure they have post you know chain and dustblade, so I expect to actually see that get um, get better. But it's not an easy job. The carpool only continues to grow. The hero pool only continues to grow. So more and more complexities will come up for them, and they'll have more challenges. So interesting to see what happens next. Right, mm-hmm. moving pa- moving past, I guess. Uh, formats actually there was one further down which i want to link in with these formats and then we're going to move through past kind of you know uh, gameplay formats this is my, my favorite blitz is a broken format um blitz is not a broken format <laughs> blitz is actually a good format and you got you can tie me up and do whatever you want because i said that but it genuinely is a very good format um and especially for the game right especially for new players it's very approachable you don't have to think about sideboards you still have a lot of creativity with your armor and then the games are very digestible and you can still learn flesh and blood very very well and become an extremely good player by playing blitz and that can translate um you know very what would the word be i want to say correlates but you know it translates really well to classic constructed as well if you're a really good blitz player you're generally a really good classic constructed player as well um unless you're like cheesing with something i guess so blitz is absolutely not a bad format in my opinion it's like a strong disagree and i'm not partial to blitz i don't like a particular strategy in blitz that i just like to own people with or something like that i'm not like a dirty ira player i know i like to play kano because it's fun but i would do that in cc if it was viable <laughs> I, it's a good format. It's great, and I think it's fantastic for the game. Um, it, if they were having Blitz Pro Tours and Blitz Callings, then okay, we can sit down and we can have a word. But just in general, no, nah, it's a good format. Okay, so it's not broken in your opinion. You strongly disagree with that statement. Sounds like. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Cool, we can we can finally disagree with something. Uh, I would say I'm kind of neutral on this, to be honest, to maybe slightly agree. And I agree. I don't think it's a bad format, but I do think it's, if you use the word, when people say broken, I assume they mean imbalanced. Uh, there's things that are happening in that format that is, you know, could be corrected to make the format better, uh, more playable. And I, I agree to an extent. Um, I think Duskblade, to be honest, is, a, is an issue in that format. It limits a lot of strategies that people can employ. Um, I do agree that I think the format is a great entry point to the game. I kind of somewhat agree with you that it's a good, that it translates well into skills for class constructed. Um, although the, I think that really depends on the classic constructive format that you're playing at the time, I think is, is my caveat to that. I think personally, I think limited, like especially draft is a, is a, a better way to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just in terms of some of the things that are happening currently in the format, I think it's, uh, I guess, I think I, I've never had a problem with Ira. I do have maybe some issues with like what we're going to see in the future of the format, just because I think it's hard to balance this format. So in that way, I think that it can be a broken format. Um, but I don't. I don't want to see blitz go anywhere. I definitely don't want to see though uh, blitz. You know, like high level blitz events, so callings, pro events, etc. I think that's. Uh, I think that's not going to be a good time, and we will see how how broken that format can be if that happens. Uh, it's funny. I have a follow up question. Do you th- what's more? What's higher variance? A tales of aria sealed pro event or a blitz pro event? And this, regardless of draft and topic. Oh, it, it's it's variance? definitely sealed, but it's not the the variance isn't my issue with the, the what's more balanced what's more balanced oh sealed 
I don't know. Hundred percent. See a balance in terms of like the, the you know the elements being there and in, in the right quantities and, and being you know fairly even. I it's it's sealed. Yeah, you there's some there's variance to it. I don't disagree. The blitz format has I would say this variance, but like some of the balancing issues in, in blitz, uh, I think are really if if the skirmish format was you know as prevalent and as important for players as it was in season one, I think we'd see just how uh, how broken to an extent some things are in, in blitz right now. Name them. I got I got to go slightly no, deeper in here. What? I played. I talked about that, but like the, oh, so I haven't played with it. The, the Briar deck that we played last weekend was just it, it felt so oppressive. Honestly, <laughs> it's like I don't know what the bad matchup was, and and maybe in two weeks' time I have a different opinion, um, and someone can prove me wrong. But the yeah, the the Briar deck that that we played, I think in, if people have issues with in classic constructed, uh, play that deck in Blitz. <laughs> and it's uh, the issue, the core issue is Dustblade. Uh, it just means that you know strategies where you could be looking at maybe something with all time to be, I guess, more defensive, or you look to control into the mid game uh, with Dustblade. You just kind of have this inevitability because there's only forty cards, right? So, I guess like, I guess fatiguing is like somewhat of a thing. Uh, although of course you're on half life, so that is relevant. But you you have the same amount of value out of your equipment, which is really important. The value of the equipment doesn't diminish. Um, so yeah, the the Dustblade just gives like pure inevitability. <laughs> To be honest, and that that list was really good in Akana with the spell void four. Uh, it was better than I thought it would be. I think. I mean, but like, that should be the equalizer, right? Like, if there's this very heavy. Well, no, I mean, if there's a very heavy aggro, I don't know. There could be other decks, right? But like, Kana's kind of built to do this. There's a heavy aggro red line deck that cannot play arcane barrier. Like, Kana should be the deck that keeps it in check, right? That kind of stops it from being oppressive. Yeah. So is that possible? Because I, I just I haven't played the deck right. I haven't played with the Dust Blade or this Lightning Bird deck in Blitz. But I think from a theory standpoint, you know, Kano could keep it back. Sure. I mean, it's hard to say. I think I need to play more games of the deck. The the sample size we had was like only ten games, and I think it was like, you know, I, I lost two of those. I think all the rest won. Um, and I definitely got hit by some variants in those games, like drawing a all attack action hand that had no go again, etc. Like yeah. there's yeah. All good. I won't drill you too much. I just wanted to, I just wanted to dig a little bit deeper. I'll give you the, um, the top line. The top line is that you have Spell Void 4, and the game probably lasts two turns. So there needs to be yeah. some 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 high rolling on, I think, um, or some, some very good draws, I think, on the Kano side uh, if, they're on the, if they're going second to win their match, unfortunately. Interesting. Anyway, <laughs> we can move on. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of the, I guess, format-based questions. The cost of entry to the game is high, and players have to front up thousand dollars plus to be competitive immediately this is a hilariously deep question so <laughs> i recently listened to a podcast by team covenant called our investors good for games and i think that that hour and a half long podcast would scratch the surface of answering this question your base question is too expensive yeah it is it's expensive and it's not great um if you're here to play the game you don't want to be you don't want to be limited by money right it's not great but you know what else sucks is having your cards being not worth anything. So you're probably going to come back and be like, oh, there's a middle ground. There probably is, right? Um, but it it is nice. There are players that just play this game to kind of break even and like the idea that they can go to sealed and stuff and open up that, you know, that that Rampart of the Ram's Head or, you know, Legendary, the Corsham um, and sell it and then have like positive EV on the last four weeks is just like, that's awesome to them. And the idea of like cards appreciating is really good, but all this kind of has like the the other side of the coin which is we tend to have some higher prices and there's it's a bit of a pain point right now because some cards have yet to be reprinted which i 
very confident are going to be reprinted things like it might try command and conquer um and i think that the, reprinting those cards should help with the price a lot but initial answer is yes it's too high but it's I don't know. We're dance- we're playing like we're on thin <laughs> ice, right? If we if it goes too cheap, then it can also lead to a bad scenario. Yeah. Okay. So you sit on the agree, maybe Neut- you know, yeah. It, yeah, neutral to like, slightly it's, agree. It's agree. I don't think that anybody should have to pay one thousand dollars to like play a game for fun. Uh, but by the way, you said the word competitively, which is interesting. We have to break down that word, right? You don't to you don't have to pay a thousand dollars to be competitive at your army event. If you think that, you're wrong. And like, period. And I will hardcore that like that is where i stand maybe there's an argument that you need these cards to be competitive at like a pro level event but that's a different conversation but i remember back in welcome to wraith it was a big pain point is that people would think that they couldn't play fnm or sorry armories without legendaries that is false (laughs) there's plenty of other options and it's an armory it's casual and there's usually when people like when there's a despair and people think that they can't play an armory because of a piece of a piece of equipment um you know they still have a lot to learn and so i don't think it's the equipment that's limiting them so i don't know that it's a tough conversation but you know it, it's deep mm. okay well i'm gonna try and keep it pretty surface level <laughs> um i disagree i think in terms of that statement uh, that the the cost of entry to the game is too high and the big reason for me is that we have you know and people can i guess argue on this as itself but i think we have a fantastic limited side of flesh and blood it may not be as great as you know say magic has with the consistency of its formats and that's i guess proven by tales of Aria sealed but i don't think that format is atrocious um you know i think that format's fine it's not amazing the draft format on the other hand i think is fantastic but anyway i digress there's a limited format there that uh, anyone can play it's accessible to players um i also think that blitz is pretty accessible as well we talked about that format before what do you think of that format that format is there it's an armory format it's success it's accessible um and also i think in terms of competitive play you can look at other card games and go well if i want to say i'm going to take magic for example because it's an easy one because it's one that's been you know had a standard format uh, you know a rotating format for a long time and the keyword there is a rotating format right so you have this rotating format where every three months, uh, my deck probably, or sorry, it's like six months, right? Every six months, uh, maybe I cannot play this deck anymore for whatever reason, uh, or at least every 18 months, I'm going to need to change my deck because you know the cards I had in the deck 18 months ago have almost completely rotated out now. And that might be less expensive, right? That might be like three, four hundred, five hundred dollars once you factor in lands and, and whatever. And Flesh and Blood's a bit different, right? You have the equipment, and that's that's often the biggest outlay, is your equipment pieces, so legendary equipments. Uh, but those equipment are going to hang around. Those equipment are going to hold at least some value. They're going to be around for a reasonable amount of time. So in terms of like cost of entry to get into it, I'd say the upfront cost is like slightly higher than other games, but it doesn't need to be, to, to Brennan's point, right? That you can slowly get into it, right? You know, you don't need the skull cap straight away, play the Iron Rot Helm or, or whatever, the, the Hope Mitch's Hood or whatever. Like it's not, it's not going to take away from being able to go to I guess, uh, events, you know, armory events and, and play competitively or you do well, um, especially if you're learning, right? Like if you want to go and hit and go straight to your first calling and your target is top 64, top 32, well, there's probably a different discussion to have there around like why you're playing the game and is the outlay of cost actually that relevant to you if that's your goal. So there's, there's a few different things playing into it there, I think, but on the whole, I think it's, um, just especially you like you said you could go into that podcast that um that team covenant did because the whole idea of like cards having value i think is important to a game you know if your cards have no value why are you opening product right 
how does the game yeah. survive? So it, it's a funny question because it's just yeah, so, it's, it's, it's actually so deep. So, it's so yeah. deep. But like, uh, like my basic answer, which is a ridiculous thing, is like if everything else stayed the same, and but you could you had the option of paying zero dollars to play this game, that'd be great. I would love to live in that utopia of a world, which I know is not the the statement here. The statement is like, yeah, it's not a thousand, so it should be two hundred or it should be five hundred, which is kind of relative, right? Um, but yeah, I wish that people didn't weren't limited by you know some sort of financial barrier to play the game. That sucks. Period. But it comes with a lot of other baggage. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm not even gonna. I'm just gonna leave that one. I think my end of the day, I would say that I I disagree. I wouldn't say I strongly disagree because there's elements I think that are a, a bit of an issue with that. The reprints is, is you know one the access to you know a card like Skullcap, E Strike, and Command Conquer. I do agree. I think those cards are too expensive. And while it's nice to have certain staples that are worth you know that you you your investment still continues to be worth money if you want to keep those cards and play with them for a while and then sell them or whatever to try a different class. Um, that's fine. But these are staples, so that argument doesn't even fit as well. Um, but yeah, let's move on. <laughs> uh, there needs to be a rules enforcement level between professional and casual for skirmishes, road to nationals, and pro quests. Um, I guess the the sentiment coming around around this is that there's a big drop-off between professional level events, right? So the, the, the etiquette and the expectation of play at a professional level event, like a calling, versus what the level of play expected at a skirmish is uh, comparatively to an armory. Because at the moment, you know, a skirmish and armory are the same. And even uh, the same with, you know, road to nationals and pro quests. So people are saying we need something in between in terms of like a rules enforcement level effectively. Um, I don't know. I think that, like, you might be able to answer this better, you know, having experience in like the magic rule system. I don't. Uh, so right now, I haven't noticed any issues. But then again, like, my focus for the past few months has just been on the callings. Um, so I've only kind of been experiencing that. What is the current issue with the disparity? Yeah, so my understanding is that people have an issue of that if you're playing a, a road to nationals or a, a skirmish event, the expectation of to which standard players should be remembering their triggers, should be uh, responsible for, I guess, you know, playing, not being sloppy effectively, right? And I guess the the thing as well is if you have newer players coming into the game, it's really murky in terms of what expectations are. Um, skirmish, I think I would... So this is interesting. I think the skirmish side is... Skirmish is a, a game day, effectively, if you've ever played Magic. It's a, it's a local level event. It should be somewhat casual. Uh, yes, I get that there's prizes that are worth money, but that's not through the fault of LSS in terms of like the secondary market while they do keep an eye on the secondary market. Um, I think the prizes that are available, there's more and more skirmishes coming, right? So these these foils are becoming, I guess, worth, you know, slightly less premium prices. Um, but that skirmish event is designed to be, a, you know, a store-based event, a local level event. So I think, you know, uh, having skirmishes at a casual level events, the same as armories is, is, is perfectly fine and reasonable. That in-between area before you get to like the full professional level of, um, I guess, play expectation and, and rules enforcement level with IPs and all that, all that sort of, um, you know, level of rules we don't really have anything in between now and i guess that's what people are saying and i actually agree i think there needs to be something because not even just for the fact that the there's issues with like the rulings that are happening i actually think it's an issue with like expectations for and on players in terms of what they should and shouldn't be doing in these events um that is it as the game grows and as more players come in there could be there could be some recurring issues that come up i think it's just worthwhile that LSS delineate this and make it really clear uh, as to the expectations on rules and events that are between somewhere between you know professional level event 
and a, a skirmish or an armory. Uh, I think a Roach Nationals is a great example of this. You're going to have local players. You have players who it might be their second, third, fourth event playing this Roach Nationals. Um, are they expected to play at a professional level or are they expected to play at a casual level? Like it, it feels like there should be something in between for these events that have you know, significant prizes in the form of qualifying you for nationals and getting you to that pro level event. Um, and I don't know what they call this. They call it, I don't know, semi-professional or amateur or whatever they want to call it. In Magic, they had a, a, a rules level enforcement for these events and I think they worked really well. Awesome. Well, I think I'll abstain from this one just Fair because enough. I'm a little <laughs> underqualified, but I'll, I'll follow in, you know, I'll echo what you say. Well, there's only one level judge in this uh, conversation. One level one judge is what I meant to say. Oh, yeah. You really need to get on getting that level one qualification. <laughs> uh, is the player base peaking? Oh, sorry. The player base is peaking and stagnating. We need ways to drive player growth. And player base is peaking and stagnating. Yeah. Interesting. So and first of all, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'll just give you some like some talking points on this as well once you decide on where you stand on it. But uh, I guess if, if you do agree that we need to drive player growth, like what are the ways and how do you grow communities? Well, I would always love to drive as much player growth as possible. But, uh, you know, <laughs> in terms of stagnation and, uh, and you know, that stuff, well, we have this thing happening in 2022, which is uh, the OP, which is going to be like the Pro Tour Worlds and putting up like a million dollars. Um, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Or a pretty good idea to me to inject more you know, interest and bring players into the game, um, as well as you know, obviously streaming all those events and you know, new sets. And I, I don't know. It, it seems fine to me, right? So is is the is the player base actually stagnating? I, I don't. Is this a question to me? Well, yeah. I don't know if it actually is. It kind of seems like it's growing. Yeah, I mean, I guess probably the, it depends how people are looking at this metric-wise, right? Like, uh, are people just looking at their local events and there's no new players coming in? Are they looking at um, maybe the Orlando calling as a number versus the Vegas calling? Like, there's so many ways that people could look at this, right? Are they looking at the number of people on the, the Facebook fan page and maybe that growth is declining? There's so many ways you could look at it, but the the only real metric you could have, or they could, even, sorry, they could even be looking at, you know, maybe um, gem numbers and the 90-day XP. Like, there's so many ways that people could be trying to gauge this. But there's so many different facets of what's happening. You've got players who maybe just play this game casually. You've got, uh, I guess, coming into winter and um, there's still, you know, like COVID impacts. There's so many things happening that it's really hard to say that the, state, the player base is stagnating. So I'm not going to comment on that at all because I don't know. But uh, in terms of, I guess, like, do we need, I would strongly agree that we need ways to continue to grow the, the player base. And you've, you've talked about one for, I guess, like professional level events for people aspiring to want to play competitively. I think we also need things uh, for casual. I think we need ways oh, yeah. to continue to, to drive the casual growth because grassroots uh, flesh and blood is going to be what continues to drive this game. It's going to be what maybe the players who buy the, the product, um, you know, you look at in games in general, like I throw it out there, 90% of or, you know, player bases, player bases are going to be somewhere between, um, you know, like casual to, you know, uh, semi-competitive. You know, they play in road to nationals, they play in skirmishes, et cetera. Um, but it's only the maybe ten percent of the player base that actually regularly attend callings. You know, want to want to actively attend pro quests and and um, win those and play play pro tours. So there's a big obligation, I think, to continue to grow our communities. Um, and I think there's been this this sort of question about like how do you grow communities? And I think one of the the one of the ways, first of all, is like getting stores on board, right? So if you have stores in your local community that 
have maybe brought flesh and blood have brought flesh and blood into to try or uh you know kind of on the fence then why not offer to you know help them run run armor events you know go down with one or two of your friends maybe there's a couple of players at that local store that are interested you help learn to play maybe run a learn to play event which alice is very supportive of and we'll send you know irodex etc and then you know help them with their first few armories that's definitely what i've seen in communities around the world where people start those communities they get involved and then those communities grow because more and more players come in. They get to six, seven players in their weekly events. Next thing you know, they've another few players have come in or they've brought friends or friends have come across from other games. So that's the way to continue to grow communities is to continue to seed them, basically. Um, and then just to continue to, I guess, have welcoming environments. And I think the game does a lot of the talking for you, right? Once you get people to, to play the game, it's just that, you know, we're still in this this infancy phase as much as people want to say that we're flesh and blood is in like a, a you know a huge growth phase it's still to, to a degree in an infancy phase and that probably you reframe that by how this game ends up being successful like how big this game gets um, but if you think this game is going to be you know ultra successful and challenge the, the big three of tcgs uh long term then you'd say it's still in a somewhere between an infancy and growth phase right so i would say i agree and i think um it's I think the professional level looks pretty, or the competitive level looks pretty taken care of in terms of growing that for next year. There's, you know, Alexis have to get it right, but the, the groundwork is there. The, the, um, the announcements are there. Also can't, can't lose an eye on casual. Well, yeah, it's funny. Cause you know, I answered the question sort of the competitive context, mm -hmm. um, which is congruent with what this podcast is, but this game will sure. live and die off, will live and die off its casual base. Uh, so it's very it's, it's so important it's way more important than anything we're looking at professionally the professional the professional stuff looks amazing for next year but yeah i really hope that they actually kind of do more for the casual player base because like i feel like ultimate pit fight just really isn't flushed out and isn't supported and obviously we have a small card pool at the moment i guess blitz is also kind of a thing for that but yeah i mean if you look at something like magic and how far its casual player base has taken it it's you can see it's really important yeah i was actually going to add that on to the end. it's so important i think upf is is not the way forward for casual play unfortunately i mean the the format just hasn't taken off people just don't like it there's, there's people who like that format and love that format right the one thing with magic is a lot of the casual formats that are now prevalent came about from community like created by community right so uh highlander edh um cdh whatever it is the canadian highlander yeah uh, all these formats for the most part came about from the community so i think we're starting to see that a bit i know we've seen like a pauper equivalent like a commoner format which is great like maybe that's a great way for for you know stores and, and players to play casually um but i think that alice probably need to throw some stuff behind that in in 2022 as well and maybe that's a revamp of the upf format as well could be could be on the cards next segment uh we'll move on a bit we Organized play is too unfocused right now. And I guess there's a bit of a, like the discourse around this has been like, there's a lot of formats, there's, um, there's fewer events, but of lots of different types. So, you know, last year, all this year, sorry, we've had blitz calling, we've had CO, we've had class constructed. Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, the blitz calling is an outlier, right? That was the, that was the launch of the format. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and other than that, it's just been sealed and constructed. Yeah, I would say I would say I disagree. Like I would strongly disagree on this one. I don't think yeah, strongly strongly yeah. disagree, and also wonder if it's like kind of inaccurate, right? Because it's only like two, um, so it seems pretty on par with like exactly where we want to be, right? A mix of limited callings and constructed callings, and then these multi-format uh, tournaments in the form of nationals, which you know probably some people aren't a fan of the multi-format, but it's 
probably the best way to go, right? The idea is to have the most well-rounded player be the national champion or the world champion. Um, so I, I've loved it. Yeah, I, I think so. You said like it's inaccurate. It depends, right? It depends on where you stand. For some players, it might be that they want to see organized play just one event for a season. You know, so we've just had draft skirmish as well, which we can't forget. Um, so I guess that that's one thing to throw into the mix. I think it's good for the game. I think it's good to have the ability for a player who's a limited only player or a player who only really wants to play Blitz or a player who is really invested in Classic Constructed to have events every season to be able to play. So I think it's important that we have this mix of of formats in our organized play. I think one thing you could say is that uh, because of the, the calling season being so tight and narrow that, that maybe it feels a bit unfocused, um, but that that's going to change, right? Like we're going to have premier level events next year uh, on, a, I guess, a, a larger scale and a wider calendar uh, across more regions. So, yeah, I, I don't think it has been too unfocused, but I could see where that, that sort of sentiment comes from at the moment. I'm actually, I'm interested to see if Blitz will um, kind of come into the high level play more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe not a calling, right? Like a calling is pretty heavy, but uh, maybe like a pro quest or something like that. Oh, gosh. And I think it might, to be honest. I think a, I think pro quest level, yes. I think calling level, likely, but um, yeah, maybe, right? Maybe like, you know, one in 10 if that like it'll be like legacy uh gps and, and magic right you get one yeah or, or it'd be something like with ever i mean it could be something as if we get like a bunch of young heroes and yeah with the supplemental again. yeah yeah I mean, that's what happened this time right crucible came out and then there was a, a blitz calling yeah that was also the the creation of the format so maybe that's why maybe it was just a one-time thing but yeah i mean maybe we could have more formats in the future for yeah. competitive events it yeah. seems like it's possible yeah definitely um okay a question on carpool carpool asymmetry is the reason runeblade has remained s tier this is i think this is a great mm. question we probably could have talked about this before when we talked about formats but i think this question is well the statement i guess this feeling is probably one of the ones that resonates with me so i'll start i think uh, i think i agree on this the, the the i guess the amount of card pool that runeblade has at the moment uh, is allowing it to i guess push heroes into the most competitive decks, the best decks in the format in any given sort of like format or time within a meta. Um, and that's because you have three heroes, three Runeblade heroes, and you have the largest card pool. I think that is, I think that's true. Uh, I don't think it's a, a long-term issue. I think we'll, we'll see that start to rebalance. I, I hope, I know Runeblade is like a marquee class for, for the game. Uh, and I get that, you know, you can see that by the amount of like assets they've poured into their art and uh, into the design of it. But at some point, they've got to be really careful, right? If you keep printing these Runeblade cards and they work well together, so you're not you're not segregating those, I guess, the strategies that come out with those, um, there's too much overlap, then yeah, you're going to have this happen naturally, right? And I think that is a bit of what's happened here. Um, there's other things with like, you know, Chains Hero ability with uh, maybe with Briars or with Plunder Run or, or whatever you want to get into, but just in general. Um, because I know people will say, well, Briar barely plays any Runeblade cards. Yeah, I get that. But you've also got Viscerai now knocking on the door as well. You've had Chain. Um, and you just have three heroes in general. So I do think there's there's a bit of this. So I would say like I'm I'm a, I'm an agree. Uh, it's probably rested actually. And I'd be interested. It's interesting to see what happens next with other classes in this game and and where LSS go in the next set uh, to you know support other classes in the game. It's a funny. It's a funny one, right? Because it's like I probably agree, but uh, the problem with Chain was definitely not the plethora of Runeblade cards. Yeah. It was his hero ability. And the problem with Briar, I mean, if you think Briar is a problem, Briar doesn't play too many Runeblade cards. So 
It's funny, right? I mean, it depends, I guess, the prevalence of viscera as we head into the, the, the rest of this forum, which I think it should be very high. Um, but yeah, probably agree. Like, it's definitely not a not, not a disadvantage. <laughs> um, but yeah, currently there is asymmetry, which I think is something that almost certainly they plan to shore up with future expansions, right? Like, we, it's, I would, you know, I'm going to put it and put it out there now. I bet after Everfest, we don't get a rune blade in that set. <laughs> I probably would have made that bad about Tales of Aria, but you know, somehow we got one. <laughs> well, so I think I just want to caveat this as well. When I talk about the card pool, I'm also talking about the equipment and weapons, and I think that's really important because that is what we've had from Tales of Aria, right? So when I talk about card pool, I'm also talking, yeah, I am the cards in, in the game, the equipment and the weapons, yeah, weapons, tokens, whatever. But Spell, Spellbound's really good, and Rosetta is like maybe OP. <laughs> Yeah, so like you just have these. I mean, you now have the most weapons in the game, and Runeblade is a class. Uh, the equipment is there as well. Like it, it's all these things, right? So I do think it is a, it is somewhat card pool related, but not exclusively. I just want to point that out. Like I agree with Brennan, the you know, it's not exclusively. Um, mm-hmm. next, this is this is one I think is pretty pretty straightforward and a quick one, but ties into what we talked about before. Next year's tournament structure and success will go a long way towards determining whether Flesh and Blood will succeed. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's always been, right? Like, that's what people have said about everything. Like, every milestone that we've hit, every single one has been like, yeah, well, if we hit this, then we will be succeeding. If we fill the calling Vegas, we'll be succeeding. If we have, like, a successful OP in 2021 when all of us other games are doing it, we'll be succeeding. So the answer is yes, but also we've kind of been doing that, and I think that, you know, we have hit the proof of concept. It just depends where you where your definition is, where your line is, like how big does it have to be? Um, but I think that the game is already succeeding and I think that it's doing very well. Yeah. I, to be fair though, I think you pushed the Vegas narrative because uh, I think on like six or seven podcasts in a row, you kept referring to the, you know, Vegas as the proof of concept and uh, proving that the game could, uh, could succeed. So I think, I think that was a brilliant, that was a, that was a Brendanism, I think maybe. Yeah, maybe. But I heard a lot of people say that, no, to be fair. I agree. I agree. It definitely was. It was a, it was a definitely a milestone. But I think there's a few of these, right, where you go through in the period and go, you need to hit X, Y, Z uh, to to move through into the next phase of growth and, and succession, you know, succeeding. And Alice is setting that up to happen, you know, with like the way sets are being released, the, the cards available, the events happening. Um, so there's probably certain points where it's like, a, this cannot fail here because otherwise it's you know too detrimental to to i guess the future but some of them are going to be less relevant right um for instance like i think you know had the calling orlando had a really poor t- turnout i don't think that would have been detrimental to next year's sort of plans for instance but mm-hmm. kind of that's kind of whatever um i would say that i strongly well yeah i i, I strongly agree actually i think um because yeah, of the I, mean, way I that, agree too right if it freaking bombs it's not good <laughs> Yeah, I gotta definitely agree. It's important, especially because Flesh and Blood is framed as a, a game that has a you know a strong competitive element to it, right? Like this is one of the framings of uh, it's for players, it's for people who want to be competitive as well, as well as you know players who just want to play the game. But it's definitely been a framing device, especially you know post maybe the regression of uh, the Magic Pro Circuit. Yep, for sure. Okay, we've got a couple of final ones. Um, I think they kind of tie into some of the, the statements that we've, or the sentiments we've already talked about, but maybe there's some extensions. We need reprints of key staples now. CNC, Skullcap, Art of War, E-Strike. Sure. Yeah, totally. Uh, it, and it's hard for me to be an ambassador of this because, you know, I own the cards and I'm lucky to have done that, fortunate. 
but for sure like i'm down i would love those cards to be cheaper for everybody because they are staples and they are heavily played so i'm all for it so strongly agree although it is uh you know i don't feel the problem myself i can imagine how annoying it is for anybody who's not able to obtain those cards at a reasonable price yep uh yeah i strongly agree i think i have a bit of a a criteria for this is that it needs to be in supplemental sets for me um i really don't want to see some of these cards in limited particularly in line strike <laughs> um <laughs> personally but but i mean yeah i'm definitely massively in favor of, of seeing reprints of these cards i think there's especially with the oop the out of print announcements right like i think this is really important for the game um i want to see these staples be affordable i don't want to have this a thousand dollar barrier to entry or supposed barrier to entry um although i again i disagree with that uh, but I think we need to see the the staples are the ones that are there's there's not enough of and as you as you reprint these in sets where there's already incentive to open the product that's fantastic. When people are opening say Arcane Rising just for CNCs and Skullcaps, that becomes a bit of a you know that's that's a real lottery right because either you open a a thirty dollar box or you open a two hundred dollar box and it's like that's not really where you want your game to be. So reprinting these in sets where there's incentive to open. Uh, because of other reasons i think is, is is fantastic you know like crucible of war okay well you know um i'm looking for spoils of war i'm looking for courage of blade hold i'm looking for you know like xyz like there's a there's a range of cards here that, that i'm looking for and i think that's a, a good a good way to do it is in supplemental sets so yeah strongly agree totally agree cool cool this is a bit of a, a bit of agreement in the house <laughs> <laughs> we need a better way to avoid draws when going to time spicy <laughs> this one always comes up and i think it's it ebbs and flows right and it comes up during competitive seasons and then goes away for a bit yeah i mean we like so we had this conversation with steven funny enough on i know because steven took a really rough draw in one of his matches that was very unnecessary but as someone who played the game before that system was implemented and there was like five turns and like you know, this is sometimes a little bit political around the concessions. Um, I think that this system is better. And I know that's kind of a funny answer. It's not really attacking the question. Do we need to change the draw system? I don't know. I think that the it, I'm currently erring on the side that I think it's okay for the impetus to be on the player to play the match in a reasonable amount of time, make sure their opponent does it as well, and... The only way that you can acquire wet in flesh and blood is by playing the game. That being said, you know, there are very, very feels bad draw situations. I understand that. I've been there. Um, but I don't know if an alternative will generate will actually provide us with like a better uh game. Yep. Yeah, I mean, uh I strongly disagree. Like this is probably one of the ones that I strongly disagree on. I think it, I agree with what Brennan just said. The four the the the, I guess what we had before with like the five turns and um, people sitting there for a, you know a minute of that turn negotiating who should concede based on the fact that they can win this game uh, was horrendous to be honest and I think that the changes that have been made and the changes we currently have or the way that the draw system works or I guess it's it, I keep saying draw it's a double loss right effectively the way that the end of match procedure happens is really in line with Alice's vision and James White's vision for how uh, games of you know competitive cardboard should be played which is there's a winner and you play to win the game um so we don't have intentional draws etc etc uh draws with nothing so uh, i'm in i'm fine with it i think um it's the responsibility of the players like you say to to play in a timely timely manner and uh, competitive events i think 
you might take a hard lesson once on on that happening um but in general from what i've seen and this becomes now a little bit anecdotal is that players respond well to understanding the limitations of time and um, playing within it and yeah you might get one game in 20 uh that head towards a draw where this happens one game in 10 whatever it is that head towards a draw Funny. where this happens but yeah it's so minimal and it's it's this it's you you can't have it all right you're gonna always have some feels bads for me it's like one in a hundred if that so i'm if saying games that. that are a draw games that end up in a draw yeah that's what i'm saying it's oh, like, sure. oh, that that hasn't happened to me in like oh almost a year or something it's been forever oh, sorry maybe i missed it. what i'm saying is games that do end in a draw one in ten could be a feel bad is what i'm saying uh because okay 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 right. i get it like yes. steven's example. i was gonna say i yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah so i totally agree with that um but yeah for games that are going to draws because i know people really don't like that as well and we talk about the impetus being on the player to um speed up their time as well as their opponent's time um yeah i just like as flesh and blood has evolved as a game obviously i've evolved as a player but the game itself has evolved um as well and you know the general player base is much more comfortable with the cards better at the game and I rarely run into draws. Rarely, rarely. Yep. Um, yeah, and it was I, like uh, it was. It was. It sometimes happened back in the old days. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I've I've played Guardian Mirrors that have gone to almost time, but also I think I was playing kind of slow. But anyway, <laughs> regardless, I think this is a question that we're probably going to get a lot of, uh, I guess, requestioning on, or people are going to want to know, like, how can we avoid this? What is you know, if it's not the system, then how can players manage it better, etc. And I, to be honest. We've, I think we've really opened ourselves up in this um, episode to some of these questions about the, some of the things we've said. We could have sat here for four or five hours, right, Brennan, and discussed these. So we haven't said everything about the sort of statements or the sentiments or the general feelings that are currently happening within the Flesh and Blood community because we wanted to keep it reasonably top line and we did dive into some stuff. But, you know, this isn't our full feelings on these in terms of, you know, there's there's a lot of nuances. Like you said, we could do a whole podcast on, uh, on you know, just the how good the financial side of the game is and that barrier to entry, um, let alone just one question for five minutes. Yeah, for sure. There's a massive amount of nuance. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, and that's just how it goes, right? Like, with a lot of these questions, like, the, like our, our role here and to, to be entertaining is to kind of take, take a side, right, and give an opinion. Um, but sometimes there's just so much to it, right, where both sides probably have very reasonable arguments, and that's just how it goes. Yeah, most of these aren't black and white. A lot of these things we've just talked about are very, very gray. So in saying that, uh, that kind of wraps it up. But if you want to drop a question uh, in the YouTubes, in the, in the YouTubes, in the YouTube comments below, if you're on uh, watching this on YouTube or if you're, uh, you know, uh, on Twitter and want to flick us a question about these, then please do. We're, we're happy to discuss some of these. I know, um, you know, some of these might require some some follow-ups or there might be some interesting things that come out of it. So, um, yeah, we'd love to, love to hear from you. But other than that, I'll hand it over to you, Brendan. Yep. Just want to shout out the Arsenal Pass YouTube channel. Um, that is Arsenal Space Pass on YouTube, and we do have tons of content on there, including gameplay, deck text, this podcast, as well as the Time of the Round podcast. So check it out if that's something you're interested. Me and Hayden are both on Twitter. I'm located at Brendan APG. Hayden is located at Fiendale. That is F-Y-E-N underscore Dale. Um, and if you do like our content and you have enjoyed that stuff on YouTube, remember to give us a sub, a like, and if you come on the video, it actually helps us a ton. Love to get that engagement. Um, and then finally, shout out to the patrons. Big, big, big thank you. And just to re-remind everyone that the Arsenal Pass Patreon does have extra content. That's extra podcasts, a live session, as well as those sideboard guides and deep dives on all the deck decks that are on the YouTube channel. With that, that's all for this episode, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.